Aslan is on the move. These five words came from Mr. Beaver in C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Narnia was under the curse of the wicked witch, and the people were longing for rescue. Those five words, they gave people hope, and it made the weary heart brave. Aslan, the lion, the king, he's on the move. Well, as we walk through the book of Mark together as a faith family, we are going to see Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the king, he is on the move. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Mark chapter 1. If you are a visitor this morning, thank you so much for coming to worship with us. In your worship, God is a connect card. If you wouldn't mind just filling that out for us. We have a gift we want to give to you, just saying thank you so much for coming to worship with us. You can grab it out at the information center on your way out. For months, y'all, I have been chomping at the bit to get to walk through the book of Mark with you. When Christy and I were in Israel back in April, we got to travel to all the places that we're about to see as a faith family as we walk through this book together. But it's just amazing to see how Jesus throughout the book of Mark is on the move. But also throughout this series, we're gonna see how Jesus is on the move right here today. We're gonna hear stories in our faith family and stories from around the world of how Jesus is on the move and he is drawing people to himself. Every Monday, our staff meets, our pastors, we get together and we pray for our church, but we also take time to celebrate wins. We celebrate what Jesus is doing in our lives and our families and in our ministries and what Jesus is doing in our church. And we get to celebrate how Jesus is on the move. And indeed, as we're gonna study the book of Mark, we're gonna see him moving in the hearts and lives of people, but he's also on the move today. So as a faith family, as we walk through this series together, we're gonna see and hear about how Jesus is on the move even today. So I can't wait to dig into this and to study the amazing Jesus and who he is and what he has come to do for us. So launching out of the starting gate of this book together, it's important that we have handles that we can grab hold of so that we can study this book together and know where we begin with. So I've put in your notes three truths from the text. The first truth is this, is that John Mark is the human author. John Mark is, as he's often called in the book of Acts, was Barnabas's cousin. He was a a really close friend of Simon Peter. He traveled with Paul and Barnabas on Paul's first missionary journey, but he deserted them along the way. When Barnabas wanted to take Mark with them on the second missionary journey, there was a sharp disagreement between Paul and Barnabas. And so we see in Acts 15 that there's a conflict and it brought division between Paul and Barnabas. So Paul chose Silas and Barnabas chose Mark, and they each went their separate ways. Have you ever done something that you regret? Well, most of us have. Mark regretted leaving Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary trip. And over time, however, Mark earned Paul's trust back. So much so that Paul wrote to Philemon that Mark was his fellow worker. And to the church at Colossae, he said to welcome him. 
toward the end of his ministry, as Paul is potentially days away from being beheaded for his faith in Jesus, he writes in 2 Timothy 4.11, get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. Isn't it interesting that Simon Peter, the one who knows what it means to desert a friend, was instrumental in restoring Mark. Something we can learn from Peter and something that we can learn from Mark is that no one is beyond the redeeming grace of Jesus. No matter what you've done, Jesus is greater than your sin. No matter what regret you're holding onto in your past, Jesus is greater and Jesus is better. When you trust in Christ, you find that he has the power to heal you and to change you and to restore you and to use you. You may have decisions in your past that you regret, but hear me, Jesus is greater than regret. So church, let's be patient with one another. Let's be gracious towards one another. Peter walked away from Jesus on the night he was betrayed. And then about a week later, Jesus cooked breakfast for him and restored him. Mark walked away from Paul in the mission. And yet Peter came alongside and restored him. And because Peter invested in Mark, Mark had impact for Jesus, including writing the book that sits in your lap. The second truth from the text is this, is that 41 41 times the word immediately appears in Mark's gospel. This book reads like a camcorder on Mark's shoulder, as if he's following Jesus around making a home video. And then all 16 chapters brought together, it's like he took all of the film, put it in iMovie, and he spliced it all together. It's a fast-paced, moving book. It's hard-hitting. There is so much happening here in this text. Thus the title of the series, On the Move. Now, it's important to note that Mark organizes his gospel around geography rather than chronology. Okay, you and I, we've been trained to read stories, to read them in the order of when they have happened. But that's not how Mark bases the order of his book. He does it based on where it happened. You see, outside of Jesus' baptism and temptation that we're going to look at next week, all of that took place in the south, but the rest of chapters 1 through 9 takes place up north in Galilee. Then chapters 10 through 16, they take place in the south, in Judea, in Jerusalem. So what we're going to see together is that over and over, throughout the word of Mark's gospel, the word immediately shows up. It's a fast-paced book, and we're going to see this book fly by because there's so many things happening, and they're happening quickly. Third truth from the text is this, is that Mark's gospel hinges on the person and work of Jesus. Mark launches into his thesis for writing this book in chapter one, verse one. He's making himself clear at the outset what his premise is. And he says in Mark chapter one, verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. Verse one, the word gospel means good news. It's the message of God's ultimate victory, triumph, and eternal rescue through Jesus' death and resurrection. This is the best news possible. You see, sinners can be forgiven. The spiritually dead can come alive through faith in Jesus and his work in the gospel. 
We see in verse 1 that Mark gives Jesus two titles. The first title is Christ. That's the Greek word for Messiah. Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, they're looking for this Savior. They're looking for the Messiah. Who could he be? And here Mark is saying, here he is. Jesus is the promised Messiah you've been looking for. He is the Christ. Then it gives a second title, verse 1, the Son of God. You see, God the Son has always existed throughout eternity past. And when the fullness of time had come, Jesus came forth on Christmas morn, born of a virgin. He is the one who we look to as God the Son, the one who has always existed, but in his incarnation, when he was born on Christmas Day, he took on flesh and blood, and Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became like one of us. And so Mark begins his gospel by declaring it's all about Jesus. Jesus is the central focus of the entire book. Now, by the way, this is a really good lens for which you read the Bible. In Luke 24, Jesus was talking with the two, men, two disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it says, in beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them all things concerning himself. He's saying, in essence, the entire Old Testament is pointing to me. Your entire Bible is red letter. So the lens through which you and I read our Bibles is not that it's about us. It's about Jesus. The whole Bible is pointing to him. It's a hymn book. It's all about him. It's pointing us to Jesus. And so as we read the text, Mark is saying, this is where I'm pointing you. Chapter one, verse one, this is my thesis. This is my starting point. And I want you to know where we're going for the rest of this gospel. I wanna point you to Jesus and who he is and what he has come to do. So with these truths from the text, we have a general framework through which we can study this incredible gospel together. So let's read the text together in Mark chapter one, beginning with verse one. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, see, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make his path straight. John came baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John wore a camel hair garment with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. He proclaimed, one who is more powerful than I am is coming after me. I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Mark begins his gospel with the ministry of John the Baptist. There is not a Christmas story here in the gospel of Mark. There are no angels. There's no Mary and Joseph. There's no information about Jesus as a teenager. In fact, the the silence about Jesus' early years argues he had a very normal childhood. So much so that we're gonna see in a few weeks in Mark chapter six, when he gets back to his hometown of Nazareth, they are shocked that he is teaching with such power and authority. They're blown away. Could this be Joseph's son? Is this 
possible that this carpenter, this is who he is? How is this possible? You see, Mark begins his gospel with John the, Bas- John the Baptist fulfilling the prophecy of the prophet Isaiah. 700 years before the prophet, uh, before John the Baptist came, Isaiah declared that there was coming a day in which the Messiah would come forth. There's coming a day in which the Savior, the anointed one, is going to come and rescue God's people. John the Baptist is there saying, here he is. He is the one whom Isaiah said would come and prepare the way for the Lord. Here he is as the trailblazer. He's making straight the path. He's preparing for the arrival of the Messiah. He is fulfilling verse three by declaring, make straight his path. Prepare the way of the Lord. Now, John the Baptist and his preaching, it shocked people. First of all, it had been four centuries since God had spoken new revelation. For 400 years, God has been silent. He hasn't spoken. And now, all of a sudden, this bug-eaten, rough-looking country boy shows up in the Judean countryside declaring, prepare ye the way of the Lord. That's going to be my morning, in my mind all morning, man. Like, that's it. Prepare ye. It's so good. That's what he's saying. Like he shows up, like here he is, and the people are blown away by this. This is such a novelty that look at verse 5. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him. Rich and poor, insiders and outsiders, farmers and lawyers. Everyone's going out to hear John the Baptist preach. And the crowds are asking, according to Luke chapter 3, what should we do? And John says, he who has two shirts must share with the one who has none. And he who has food should do the same. The tax tax collectors asked him, what should we do? And he says, don't collect any more money than what you've been authorized. The soldiers asked John the Baptist, what should we do? And he says, don't take money from anyone by force or through lies. Be satisfied with your wages. So John the Baptist, he's setting the stage for the arrival of the Messiah. And he's calling people to be truth tellers and not liars. Hardworking and not slothful. Honest and not thieves. Generous to the poor and not hoarders for ourselves. You see, when you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, he wants all of your life. He doesn't just want your Sunday morning. He wants your Monday through Sunday. And John the Baptist's message was simple. The time to get right with God is now. Don't wait. Don't wait. The time to get right with God is now. And John the Baptist is still preaching through the word of God. He's calling you today to get right with God. And you can do that by turning from your sin and trusting in Jesus by faith. Well, Kenneth, what does this look like practically? How do I respond to the gospel? Well, notice these four gospel components in John's message. The first gospel component It's confession. It's confession. Confession means you agree with God about your sin. Verse five, the people were going out to John the Baptist confessing their sins. Confession means you don't hide it. You don't conceal it. You don't excuse it. 
You're honest before God. Why? Because he already knows. He knows all of your past. He knows the sins that you have struggled with in the past. He knows the sins you're struggling with right now, and he knows the sins that are in your future, and yet he still loves you. He sent Jesus to die on the cross, not because you're good, but because you're dead outside of Christ. You see, before you can be healed by Jesus, you have to admit that you're sick. Confession is declaring to the Lord that you're sick and you need him to heal you. Hear me. Take what was done in the dark and bring it into the light. It's not until you make this transition where you take what you've hidden and you bring it open before the Lord, you confess your sins. It's when you bring it into the light, that's when he heals you with his gospel. It's when you confess your sins that he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You see, God shows his love for you through the shedding of Jesus' blood at Calvary's cross. His, he loves you. So confession is taking what's in, in, in the past, in the dark, and you're gonna bring it out and say, Lord, here I am. Here's what I've done. And he already knows. He's not shocked. He doesn't blush at your sin. He points you to the death of his son and says, I know and I care and I've made a way for you to be washed clean. And it's not by you trying to be a good person. It's not through church attendance. It's not through baptism. It's by trusting in my one and only son, Jesus, who made a way for you to be forgiven through his shed blood at the cross. He gladly and willingly went to the cross for you. So the gospel here with John the Baptist, he says it's, it's confession. But I also want you to see, secondly, it's repentance. Repentance. Repentance means you turn from sin and you turn to Jesus. Verse 4 says that John was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Repentance is a change of heart that leads to a change of life. So you're walking in sin, you're living for self, it's all about you. You hear the gospel and you turn away from sin. It's a U-turn. You turn away from sin, it's a 180, and you turn to someone. Repentance is not just saying no, it's also saying yes. You're turning away from your old way of life. You're turning away from your sins of the past. You're turning away from yourself you're denying yourself, you're dying to your old self, and you turn to Jesus. All oh, the grace of God. That he calls you away from a life of destruction and he calls you to life in his son. It's this call of repentance. It's a change of direction. John was calling people to repent. Turn from your sin. Jesus affirmed this in Luke chapter 13, verse three, in which he says, unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. 
Repentance is essential here. It's a component of the gospel in which you turn from sin and you turn to Jesus. Listen, you can't claim to follow Jesus and continue to live in your sin. If Jesus is not your Lord, he is not your savior. It is a call of turning away from the sinful life that all of us pursued. All of us had hidden in our heart. No one can raise their hand and say, I've got clean hands and a pure heart. I've never lifted up my soul to an idol. No one here can say that. Romans 3, the whole world is guilty. This is why Jesus came. And so those who turn from their old ways and trust in Christ by faith, that is when salvation comes knocking on your door. That is when life change takes place in your heart. It's a repentance that takes place. And here is John the Baptist calling out to the people saying, turn from your wicked ways and look to the Lord, which is number three, look. Look by faith to Jesus. Verse seven, John is pointing away from himself and he's pointing to someone else. He says, there's someone coming after me. Now there were some who thought that John was the promised Messiah. But in John chapter one, verse 20, he says, I'm not the Messiah. There is someone else. There is another. You are to look to him. He is the one who will save you. It's interesting. Throughout the Old Testament, that's how someone was saved. It's not by being religious. It's not by keeping the law. It's by looking to a future Messiah who would come. They didn't know his name, but they had faith by looking forward to a promised Messiah. Well, you and I, we're saved the same way. Instead of us looking forward to a future Messiah, here we are in redemptive history on this side of the cross. And so by faith, we look backwards at Jesus and what he came to do. So both Old Testament and New Testament, we're all saved the same way through faith in the Messiah. In the past, they were looking forward to him. And now in the future and today, we look back at him. That's where salvation is. Salvation is looking by faith. John the Baptist is pointing away from himself and he is pointing to a promised savior, a Messiah who would come. You see, the call throughout the word is to look to Jesus by faith and you will be saved. In fact, it was John the Baptist who declared in John 1 29, behold, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It is a call of turning away from yourself and looking by faith to Jesus and what he accomplished. Well, John, tell us more about this Savior. What's he like? I'll put this in your notes. I want you to see that he is powerful. He's powerful. He who is verse seven, more powerful than I am is coming after me. Jesus is the one, he's the all powerful one. He is the one, Hebrews 1.3, who sustains the universe by the word of his power. He is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is the one who has the power to cast out demons and to walk on water. He is the one who 
can calm the wind and the seas and multiply food. He is the all-powerful one who humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, but did not stay dead. For on the third day, he powerfully comes back to life. Jesus is powerful. But secondly, we also see here in the text is that he is worthy. He is worthy. John says, y'all, verse seven, I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the strap on his sandals. You see, the task of untying someone's sandals was reserved for the lowest slave in the household. Luke 7, 28, Jesus says, there's no one greater than John the Baptist. And yet John here says, I'm not even worthy to stoop down and untie his flip-flops. Jesus is the almighty God. And he is worthy of all glory and power and dominion. There's no one higher. There's no one greater. There's no one more valuable than the sinless son of God. For God has highly exalted him and given him the name that's above all names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is no one more worthy, no one more powerful than Jesus. He is the one that we are looking to and he is the one who saves in Revelation 7, John the apostle saw the future glory that's coming and all of the angels and the elders and the living creatures, their number was countless, thousands plus thousands to thousands. Revelation 7, 12, they said with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slaughtered to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. This morning, look to Jesus Christ, the powerful, worthy Son of God. The fourth component of John's message we see in the text is baptism. Baptism, outward sign of an inward change. In verse eight, John says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He will, we're gonna unpack baptism more next week, but John's saying, I've washed you with water on the outside, but he who's coming, he's gonna wash you with his spirit on the inside. This coming Messiah, he's on a mission, and he's gonna baptize you with the Holy Spirit. You see, the moment you believe the gospel, the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you permanently. Okay, you've been, Ephesians 1, sealed until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of believers. The moment you believe the gospel, the Spirit comes and takes residence inside of you. So whether you're six years old when you trust in Christ or 96 years old when you trust in Christ, the moment you believe the gospel, he comes and abides inside of you permanently. And when he takes up residence, not only does he lead you into all truth, does he convict you of sin, does he open your eyes to understand the word, he also equips you with spiritual gifts, but he also washes you. You are baptized, you are washed through Jesus. 
when you trust in him by faith, the Holy Spirit applies the work of Christ at the cross and applies it to you so that you are now clean. You're washed. You're no longer guilty. You're made clean by the blood of the Lamb. And so as we begin this sermon series, here's the call. This is the challenge for our entire faith family. It's for all of us. And it's the impact point, and it's this. It's this week, read the Gospel of Mark and get ready to encounter Jesus. I'm asking our entire faith family, I want all of us to read the entire book of Mark this week. 16 chapters, and it takes about five minutes per chapter to read through this, and it's so good. You're gonna see Jesus working. As you open your Bible, you pray and you get your pen ready and you encounter Jesus when you open his word. So Mark begins his gospel with John the Baptist saying, get ready, here he comes. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the king of kings, Jesus. He's on the move. And so faith family, let's open our Bibles. Let's study the gospel of Mark together and let's see Jesus on the move even inside of us today.